Praise God. Man, I tell you what, I, I don't know if my message is as good as the first part of this service was already. But I do know this, I dressed the part. <laughs> I had no idea everybody's wearing black and white today. And uh, that was totally, Pastor Jerry's even wearing black and white plaid. That's crazy. As I tell you what, I usually tell Jen, I walk out of the house and should be wearing the same color. I well, you just wait for me to put my clothes on, don't you? But they, they couldn't have worked this morning because I was running around here in a blue shirt all morning because I was getting dirty. And then I ran back there to change and come out and everybody's wearing black and white. <laughs> I had to be the Holy Spirit, Naaman. Hey, well, he's here, obviously. And you felt him already today? I'm pumped about what we're doing today. You know, I've been trying to preach this message for three weeks now. And every week, God just kept moving it. So we're going to preach it today. But before we do, um, and is there anybody that's just really been under torment in their mind? I mean, the enemy has just been ravaging you. Um, I can't see. Uh, Keith, you already got one. Um, it's, you know, what it is is, see, the word, the Bible talks about the devil speaks. When the devil speaks, it's always a lie. He's the father of lies. And when God tells you something, I mean, when the devil tells you something, you know, I don't care how positive you try to be or how strong you try to be, how smart you try to be or how reasoning you are. You don't, your thoughts, there's nothing within you strong enough to defeat the lie of the devil that he's put in your life. The Bible shows that with um, Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They talked with God. But the Bible says when the devil showed up, he lied to them about God. And they couldn't, they didn't say, you know, I don't believe that. They didn't say, you know, that they believed what the devil told him. Because no rational thought you have, no positive thinking you can try to do can defeat the lies the enemy told you. That's why some of us, when we look in the mirror, we say, oh my gosh, look how ugly I am. And you're as gorgeous as you can be. Or, you know, when you look at the mirror, you think of, look at all the mistakes God made when he made me. See, the lies the enemy told you, they haunt us. And we just try to get our own thoughts and our own reasonings to defeat these lies, but it's impossible. His lies are stronger than your thoughts. That's why when Jesus, the devil, came and tried to get him to do things in the uh, Gospels where he tried, the devil came and tempted him in the wilderness, Jesus didn't say, the devil didn't say, if you are the Son of God, he challenged his identity says, you know, I don't believe you're really the son of God, but if you are, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. And the Bible says Jesus didn't say, I am, I don't want to do that. He said, it is written. The only thing that can defeat a lie of Satan in your life is what the word of God says. And man, I got to be honest, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a pastor for man, almost 25 years now. And doing this, you would think I could, I would be smart enough to defeat some lies and the devil in my head. But the truth is, I still find myself battling in the area of the mind. My mind's not completely set free. And so I'm, at, I'm on my third round on this book right now called uh, A Mind Set Free. And it teaches you how to replace those thoughts that the enemy has lied to you about your whole life or you know, things that you've been struggling with with what the Word of God says, and it gives you the power on what you tell. You can have a peace. There can be peace inside of your life, inside of your head, inside of your heart, but it's going to take the Word of God. So I gave away two of these in the first service. Two weeks ago, I gave away five of these. I said, would anybody want one of these today? All right. Becky, and I can see you two guys right back there. I can't see faces. I'm just going to throw them. If it hits somebody, it's Jerry's fault. Email me. Jerry at Ben's Birds. 
right. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Well, I'm excited, guys. We're two weeks away from Father's Day. And I am more pumped about this Father's Day than I ever have been. Because when I was a kid, my grandmother used to take me. She was a, my mom and dad wasn't big WWE fans, but my parent, my grandma was. I'd go over there, and on Saturday, that's when it came on Saturday mornings. We would watch the Junkyard Dog, and we would watch the Dynamic Duo, and we'd watch all these guys wrestle. She actually took me to some of them up in Little Rock, and it was exciting. Well, on Father's Day this year, we, we have a WWE wrestling match going to be here at our campus. They're setting up the ring outside. We're going to be bringing the grill. You say, Cricket, wrestling's not my thing. Well, hopefully eating is. We've got 80 slabs of ribs. We're going to be barbecuing and firing up. We're going to be having the food truck. We'll be serving a hot breakfast if you don't feel like eating ribs early in the morning. But um, it's all going to be a lot of fun. A lot of game, but we're going to have three wrestling matches before service. We'll come here for an hour of service, then we'll go back out and do five wrestling matches after. Uh, Naaman will be the bookie; he'll be taking bets. <laughs> and um, I like to say, since wrestling is so real, uh, you won't know who's going to win. All right, so it. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to have fun again. We've made it through COVID. <laughs> We've made it through the pandemic. I'm ready to get together and party. So, Father, it's going to be a blast. Dads, we're going to have a gift for every dad here. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of food. And you say, well, Cricket, I'm not into wrestling. Well, just come and make fun of them because that's probably what I'll do. Um, but it's still going to be a lot of fun. So come hang out with us on Father's Day. And we wanted to offer something this year that dads could bring their sons to to enjoy. So we're going to have a wrestling match outside. How cool is that? Uh, weather permitting. If not, we'll put the wrestling match up in the foyer. <laughs> I mean, the wrestling rink. All right, but uh, we're going to have a great day. Y'all ready to get started in this? Today's title, today's message is going to be called Testing Positive. It, um been trying to preach this thing for three weeks, but every week God just would challenge me. Uh, I wasn't here last week. Did you enjoy Pastor Donald? I was with my family on vacation, and I want to encourage everybody. I was joking about Pastor George being on vacation. But, man, everybody in here needs to believe God to go on a vacation this summer. You deserve it. You need it. The country's opening back up. You need to get out. And I think everybody in the country is. It took me nine hours to get here yesterday. should have took me seven. But the traffic was bumper to bumper, honestly, from Florida all the way to Monroe, Louisiana. It was traffic. Everybody's vacating. But I'm so glad to see people getting back out and living again. It's time. Amen? It's time that we get out and we live again. But um, going into this part, I, I was telling Kelly when we were talking about the title of this sermon, I, I felt like we're through COVID enough that we can kind of play off it a little bit. And we're going to call this one Testing Positive. Um, Brother Alan, thank you for sending me that prophecy last night. I enjoyed it. I sent it out again <laughs> to a lot of people. But, um, you know, over the last year, you've heard a lot of people, and one of the greatest fears people have been facing is getting a positive result on their COVID-19 test. How many of you guys actually took one this year? Had to go get a COVID-19 test. I prayed that yours was negative. But I know there were a lot of people that were positive. And, you know, that's where this really, this thought pattern, this message stemmed out of, but it's not about COVID. It's really about what the enemy is trying to use for harm in your life. The only reason why you're going through what you're going through or you're facing what you're facing is because the devil hates you with all of his guts. 
he hates you. He gets up in the in the day, or even if he he gets up and he he sets out. The Bible says to do but three things: steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your marriage, will steal your kids, wants to you know kill you and the plans that God has for your life. And the truth is, that's reality. The Bible calls it trials and temptations. You know, as a matter of fact, there's a scripture that says, "Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into diverse trials and temptations." Now, that doesn't sound good at all. How can I be thinking this thing is positive? Um, I mean, why should I have joy when I fall into diverse trials and temptations? Because the devil calls them trials and temptations. It's not what God calls them. The Bible calls them, in that same scripture says this, because it is a testing of your faith. What the devil's calling a trial and a temptation designed from the very concept to destroy, to kill, and to steal, God calls it a testing. Now, tests are awesome. How many guys are test takers? It's amazing. There are some people that are really good test takers and some that aren't. i got two daughters. One of them, Alexis, my oldest one, I mean, she's a natural test taker. I mean, she excels. She doesn't even have to study, but she can get in a test and she excels. The pressure of a test just makes her do super well. Now, Haley... Just as smart as Lexi, but caves when it comes test day. She can know every answer on the test. When she sits down behind the desk and they put it on front of her, now they're doing a lot of more tablet, it's like she caves. The other day she brought home a test and the grade was a lot lower than what it should be because we were studying at breakfast. I said, kid, you knew this one. We talked about this because I know I don't know why I put that answer right there. And she was just a, not a natural test taker. You know, in the natural schooling, there are people that are good test takers and bad test takers. But the thing about it is, the truth about it in life and in supernatural things, most of us just naturally are very bad test takers. We, we find ourselves in the middle of a test or a trial, and we're usually responding bad at it. And so what I'm wanting to speak on today and probably several other services since this one is, man, how when you find yourself in a testing, to always make sure it comes out positive. Because that's God's plan for you. The Bible says in um, uh, Genesis, it says, What the devil meant for harm, God has turned for good and to save many lives. What the enemy has meant to destroy you with, what the enemy is trying to use to stop you with, what the enemy is trying to hurt you and, and cause you to suffer in this life, God is saying, hey, if you can walk through this thing the way I'm asking you to walk through this thing, this thing that was meant to be negative will only come out positive in your life. Because all things, not good things, not easy things, but all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. You say, Cricket, I don't, you don't understand how bad this is. I do know this. My God is better than your bad. And He can turn all things together. He work all things together for your good. His desire, the only reason why God allows you to walk through trials or temptations is because he don't see it as a trial and temptation. He sees it as a testing. Because it says, it, it, the Bible says, Can I do when you're walking through diverse trials and temptations? For it is a testing of your faith. Because it's working something out in your life. So, if you're walking through this thing, it's not for your harm. If God's allowing, it's not because he's mad at you. It's not because he's turned his back on you. It's because he's giving you an opportunity to be promoted. That's what tests do. You know, you never graduate from the level you're on 
without a test having to be taken. My girls, <laughs> and some tests are, there's all kind of different tests, you know, and usually anybody you sit down and talk to, they've got a story of a test that they failed in their past that they're embarrassed of. I'm not going to mention names, but I was told somebody failed the driver's test five times. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> if you failed your driver's test five times, I don't want you driving. But they're still going to give them another one. All right, <laughs> that's great. But it's it's the the the, 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 the test. There's all kinds. There's a pop test. That's one that you wake up in the morning and you had no idea it was coming. You ever had one of those? You know, those are not. Those are the ones I usually don't react well to because I didn't have time to prepare. And then there's the weekly test. In other words, you know, they teach you certain amounts of information. By the end of the week, you're going to be tested on to see if you were paying attention. Ready? Then they've got the quarterly test. And uh, that's the one that's going to get you in trouble because your parents are going to get the grades of your nine-week reports. And then they've got the final exam. Now, my girls are A's and B students. They don't get that from me. They get that from their mother. But they, they are, have always, since they've been in school, have been on the A and B honor roll. Every year they get award ceremonies. They get this thing. I always stand up there real proud saying, yeah, that's my kid. Because usually the people don't know what my grades were C's and D's all the way through. So you know, I act like they got their smarts from me. But... This, this year, they did a little something different. They started the state testing. And it didn't matter what you had all year long on your report cards. They gave you this test at the end of the year. And they sent a letter home to the parents. And it was about this test. It was a big test. It would be 60% of the girl's grade. That's a big test. And I was like, whoa, glad they didn't do that for me here when I was in school. You know, we got all of ours compiled together. But 60%. So if they had A's all year and they failed this one, the best they could do, you know, was pass with the F, you know, and so 60 percent of the grade. So my girls were all freaked out that they were going to get this test and that they were going to do bad because it was going to be over stuff they'd learned all year long. You got to be honest with that, a year is a long time. Stuff you learned a long time ago, it's hard to remember when you get put under the pressure of knowing something is 60 percent of your grade. If you fail this one, you fail. And so the girls were all worried because if they did not pass this one, then they were guaranteed, that's what they don't, to do summer school. They would get to do the grade again over the summers of the month. And my girls, you ought to see, they were all under stress every morning. That's all we talked about at breakfast is I got to do good on this test. I gotta... Well, they went and they did great on the test. But the anxiety that was involved on this test because the girls were told about the opportunity of being able to fail. God doesn't do that to us. When God allows the enemy to bring in a trial or temptation... It's, he's not letting it come into your life for an opportunity to fail. But if you do fail, you need to know this. You get to take the test again. <laughs> it's just the truth. And because God loves you enough and loves me enough that he's not going to let us stay on the level that we're on. He's going to make sure that you keep promoting in this life. But God never allowed. But the only reason why God allows a test or a trial to come into your life is because he said this. The Bible says I will never let any of them go through anything they cannot handle without a way of escape. So if you're going through it, God already knows you can ace this thing. The problem with it is most of us don't know how to ace this thing. So what I want to do is I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks, and today we'll start with one, is I want to talk about what it is you can do to make sure that you test positive on every single test the enemy ever brings into your life, even if you fail. You know, you can be 100% right and still be 100% wrong. You can be 100% wrong and still be 100% right. For example, you know, I can 
tell my wife the absolute truth about something, but the way I say it can be 100% wrong. And I can be 100% right, but yet still be 100% wrong. You know, God can even work through your failures. You can be 100% wrong, but walk through a test right and still end up with 100% right. Amen? So I want to talk about it because the first key you need to know about testing positive is this. When you go to take a test, the only way to get a positive result, whether it be a COVID test, pregnancy test, school test, is for you to have in you what they were testing for before you get to the test. The test itself does not put anything in you. In other words, if I'm pregnant, I didn't get pregnant by taking a test. If I've got COVID-19, I did not get COVID-19 by taking the test. The test just revealed what was already going on on the inside of me. And this is how God works. God allows us to know how to handle the test. And if we will allow God to do in us what he has told us to do, then what will happen is you'll have a positive result out of every test you ever take, even if you fail. Because God is greater than your failures. And I'll bring some of this out here in just a few minutes. But I want you to understand that not everybody passes the test, though, because some people just aren't willing to. Because to pass the test means you have to be prepared for the test. There was a story about a lady that, um, and her husband, her husband wasn't feeling good, just wasn't acting right, and just, and just knew something wasn't right. So they went to the doctor. When they got to the doctor, you know, the doctor took the husband into the back exam room and gave him an exam, checked him all out. And the um, doctor came back up to the door and said, all right, so you go ahead and sit in the waiting room. I need to talk to your wife. So the wife went into the exam room, sat down with the doctor, and the doctor said, listen, said, this is very serious. What your husband has is a very serious issue. Says, you know, and I'm going to need your help. If he's going to make it through this, he's going to need you to be involved. Says, you know, what I need you to do is every time you're at home, I need you to create a kind, peaceful, sweet atmosphere. I don't need any nagging. You don't need to do any griping. You need to support him. You need to just really create a calm, peaceful, loving atmosphere at home. She said, okay. She goes, all right, secondly, I'm going to need you to prepare three good home-cooked healthy meals for him every single day. Every day, get up and cook him a hearty breakfast, make sure he's got everything he wants for lunch, and then just blow him away with an amazing dinner every night. She's like, all right. And he goes, and I'm going to need you to at least twice a week be willing to be intimate with him there at the house. So, you know, these is what I'm going to need you to do. So she said, I hear you, doctor. They walked out of the emergency room, got in the car, driving home. The husband goes, what did the doctor say? And she looked at him and said, he's going to die. <laughs> See, just because you know what to do doesn't mean everybody's willing to do this. And the truth of the matter is God's given us every answer to be able to pass every test with it being flying, going positive in our life. The problem is the truth. Most of us aren't willing to do what it's going to take for the test to be positive. Amen. So I want to jump right into it with you real quick. The, um, the Bible says this. <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> hey, uh, I still the early service. I've been, I've been, I've been, every Sunday on early show, I've been giving away a dad joke book. I've been reading a bunch of dad joke books, getting ready for Father's Day. My girls are sick of it. They, um, 
Because uh, every day I try to memorize four or five, so when we're driving to school, I can tell them dad jokes. And they're just getting so sick of like, Dad, we're not letting you get any more books. So i got three more books that I'm going through before now on Father's Day. Um, and so, uh, for Father's Day, you're going to probably get a lot of these jokes. So, yes, I'm the real pastor. Okay. <laughs> Testing positive. Judges chapter 20, verse 18. We're going to start off here. It says, Then the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. And they said, Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? Now let me stop right here. I'm going to try to, I'm not, I'm just reading short stories here, or short clippets out of two stories, because two stories are extremely long and extensive. But I, I'm going to, I just want to read the, the, the meat of it, and then I'm going to explain to you, and you can go back and read Judges chapter 20. What happened was the children of Israel, Joshua has now died. Now that Joshua has died, they didn't have a military leader leading the children of Israel anymore, but they're possessing and living in the promised land, but there are still enemies in the promised land. But they find themselves in a very unique situation here because here, one of the children of Israel, one of the tribes of the children of Israel has sinned greatly before the Lord and has moved itself from being a part of the children of Israel. Now they have become an enemy of the children of Israel. So now we've got the children of Israel going before the Lord, facing a battle or dilemma that they've never faced before. And this just wasn't any ordinary battle or dilemma. They'd beaten giants even in the past, took down cities with unpenetrable walls. But this was the first time they find themselves fighting one of their own. This is a bit, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where the enemy tried to bring a division into one of your own whether it be your marriage, enemy trying to separate a family, or whether it be you know, a family member, a mother, a father. But there's no battle like a family battle. They're, they're the ones that sap all your strength, pull all your energy. And what we find out here is we find the children of Israel now, they're not just fighting an old enemy, just fighting the devil. What's happened here now is one of their own has flipped on them. And now they're going to have to fight this one. This is probably the hardest, strongest battle these guys have ever fought or had to fight. This is a real trial. If you're not a father yet, if you're not a mother yet, you've never been through a battle till you're fighting for your marriage. You've never been through a battle till you're fighting for your kids. This is real battle. Makes every other battle seem small. And here we find this a real battle. And so they go before the Lord and they cry out to God saying, God, how do we fight this battle? Because they had been through so many battles in the past, you would think, they wouldn't have to inquire anymore. But this is one of those battles that they've never been through before. Facing some, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's almost every time the devil brings me to a place of testing and trial, I think, oh my gosh, God, I've never fought anything like this. Have you ever been there before? You're facing and fighting. Well, what do you do when that happens? Well, first thing you do is it says, I love it. It says they went to the house of God. Man, I love that. I love that, man, I tell you. You, you want to know how to lose a battle? Get out of church. You want to know how to fail a test? Get out of church. Because I'm here to tell you this. If you do, if, because it's, that's the tactic of the enemy. If I can just get one of them away. See, that's what he did with the Benjamites. Turn the Benjamites from being a part of something great. An army that could not be beat. An army used by God to separating itself from it. And now they found itself not being a part of what God called them to be, but now an enemy 
of what God was called to do. The enemy wants to get you out, seclude you, get you by yourself. Because if he can get you by yourself, then you become open prey. But the first thing they did is they went back to the house of God. It says, and they inquired of the Lord, it says, God, how do we fight this battle? How do we do it? And you say, well, why did they not know? Because you've got to realize, this is the first time they've ever fought a battle like this. Up to this point, everyone they had ever fought had heard of them, but could not figure them out. Had heard of them and would go to fight with them, but, you know, they, they would, when they were marching around the wall, the children of Jericho had heard of them. They were scared to death because of all the battle there. But when they started marching the wall, the wall they, they were bewildered, couldn't figure out what was happening, and all of a sudden, they got defeated. Every battle they had fought in the past, their enemy did not know what they were, how they did it. They just had heard of them. This enemy was different. This enemy had been one of them. This enemy had trained with them, had fought with them. This enemy now knew exactly how they were going to fight, what formation they would stand in. This enemy was a real enemy. And what took place here, the children of Israel went before and said, what do we do? And I love God's response here. This is what God said. He said, and the Lord said, Judah first. Now, I want to explain Judah real quick. Uh, for those that don't have the, the history of the Bible, there were 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes of Israel came out of Jacob's son. Each son of Jacob, there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All right, and then Jacob had sons. And Joseph was one of those sons, and he had two sons. So those two sons of Joseph added to Jacob's seven sons, made, or the 11 sons made the 10 sons, made the children of Israel. Those were the tribes that came from. And then generations grew. Each son still represented a tribe. All right? Well, Jacob was married to a lady named Rachel, and they were madly in love. But Jacob was also married to someone else. The Bible says that Jacob was married to a girl named Leah. They were sisters. And your Bible history says this, that when Jacob met Rachel, wanted to marry Rachel, that he went and talked to Rachel's father. And Rachel's father said, yeah, you can marry her, but you're going to have to work seven years. And Jacob was just smitten. This girl was gorgeous. I mean, and so he would not, she must have been pretty hot because nowadays teenagers won't even wait a week before they're trying to sack somebody. This guy was willing to wait seven years, all right? And so this guy waited seven years to be able to marry Rachel. They got married. He worked for seven years. They got married. And the night of their wedding, they went in. When he woke up the next morning, the dad had tricked him. He had another daughter named Leah that was so, not our Leah, but had another daughter named Leah that was so ugly that he could not marry her off. So he had to trick somebody into marrying her. All right? So that's the way. This was. So the Bible says that Jacob worked another seven years to be able to marry Rachel. So now he had these two wives, a real pretty one and a real ugly one that he got tricked into marrying. And he doubled the length of work and all that. Now, there's, I told the early service this story. There was a young kid in Bible school that um, was going to Bible school, going to graduate. And um, he had a, you know, he's a great speaker. Everybody in the school knew he was going to be really an amazing minister. And there were these two sisters in Bible school. One was just drop-dead gorgeous, but couldn't do anything. And the other was a butterface, but could sing, could play. If you don't know what a butterface is, that's everything's fine, butterface, all right? So she could sing, she could play the piano, she could cook, she could do all these other things, but she was ugly as a dog. 
And so the preacher sat there and thought, you know, I'm going to graduate school and I'm going to go on to do what God's called me to do. Uh, Which one did both of the sisters want to marry him? So he said, well, which one do I marry? If I marry the one that's gorgeous, man, I got arm candy. But she can't help me in ministry. But if I marry the one that can sing and play the piano and is a really good cook, you know, we could go far in ministry. So he married the other, other, the ugly sister. Well, the story goes when they went on their honeymoon the first night, they, you know, went. It got late. It was dark. They went to the room. Next morning he woke up and there was a beam of sunlight coming through the window, shining right on his wife's face. He rolled over and looked at her, stuck his head in the pillow and said, Sing, baby, please sing. This is the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. And that's a funny story, but it's a sad story too because, see, Jacob loved Rachel and he didn't make any puns about it. Let everybody know. I love this girl. I'm willing to work for her. This other girl that I got tricked into marrying, fine, I'll deal with it, but I'm going to get this girl. And so Leah was in a marriage that she knew she was second rate. She knew she wasn't wanted. She knew that the only way she was there was because her father had to trick somebody. I mean, could you imagine the, the wounds and scars on the inside of her? I mean, I've got to be honest with you, we can't imagine because the devil's been doing that to most of us. Every time we look in the mirror, we see the ugly sister that the devil wants to tell us we are. But we don't realize that the hand of God made you exactly who he wants you to be. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, although she was ugly... <laughs> It says that she was very fruitful. And although the other girl was very pretty, she, did, she was barren. She wasn't able to bear any kids. So Leah began to bear children. And she bore one. The Bible said, she said, now surely he will love me because I've given him a son. And yet he didn't love her. He still loved Rachel. She had another son. said, surely he will love me. because I can. So for the first part of their life, she spent her life working off of performance. If I can make him feel good, if I can give him another child, if I can do better than what Rachel's done, then I can find acceptance here. And then maybe, maybe my worth and maybe that I can be what I feel like I know I should be. But the Bible says she never could, no matter how many kids she was having, she couldn't never please or get his heart to turn toward her. But then something happened in her. She'd been through enough failure, through enough hurt. She stepped back and she said this. She got pregnant again and she said, I'm not going to worry about what he thinks. I'm going to praise the Lord anyway. And the Bible says she began to praise the Lord. And she named the child Judah, which means praise. So this is where we get back into this story. We get back into this story where Jesus says, or they go to the Lord and they say, hey, how do we win this battle? And Jesus said, send Judah first. Judah goes first. Praise goes first. And because she was able to step into what God's plan for people to be able to walk into victory with, the Bible says that, you know, these were the children of Israel. And out of the children of Israel came David, the king in the bloodline. But it didn't come out of the first son. It did not come out of the bloodline until Judah was born out of praise. I'm here to tell you this. If you want a heart after God, because that's what the Bible calls David. The Bible says King David was a man after God's own heart. If you struggle with caring about spiritual things, you struggle with having a heart toward God, 
You've got to learn to Judah. Because uh, when someone learns to praise, they can't keep their heart from turning toward God. The Bible says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You could stop that sentence or that scripture right in the middle and put a period in and it would still ring true. Everything that has breath praises, period. Because whether you realize it or not, everybody in here is praising something. What praise is, is adoration, credit, giving thanks, placing glory on an an identity that has given you all that you have. You adore, you raise, you lift up. So if you're not making the choice to praise God, then whether you know it or not, you're praising your job. You're giving credit to your, your bank account. You're giving credit to your talents. You're giving credit to everything you have. Whoever you give credit for what you have is getting the praise of your life. And the truth is this. You're not going to win battles in your life unless you first learn to praise God. This is it. I'm going to make a couple statements and then we're going to jump into this. The size of your praise at the beginning of a battle will determine the size of a victory at the end. I'm going to say that again because you've got to get this. The size of your praise at the beginning, same thing with the test, the, 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 the grade of your test had to already be in you before you took the test for the test to come out positive in your life. So the size of your praise at the beginning of a test has to be, will be the size of the victory at the end. Now, saying all that to say that you need to know this, that praise is a choice that we have to make. It's not a reaction that automatically happens. Because if you're going to test positive, you're going to have to go ready for the test. Now, I read this story to you. Send you to first. Let me read the way the enemy tries to attack people. There's another story in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 25. It says this, And then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. He also went out from there and built Penel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up and offer sacrifice in the house of Jerusalem, then their heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam the king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice and made two calves of gold and said to people, It is too much for you to go back to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. We find the children of Israel again down the road in this story. And again, we find the children of Israel being split in two. Two of the tribes now had split away and they had become two kingdoms. There was the tribe of Judah and then there was the children of Israel. They had split. And in this process, the King Jeroboam realized that if I let them go back to Judah and I let them go and worship in the temple and in the tabernacle again, 
then I won't be able to keep the kingdom split like it is now. But if they go back, their hearts will turn back to the Lord. And if they go back and they praise in the temple, if they worship in the temple, then they will become one king. So he convinced them of this. He convinced them of this lie. It's too much for you to go back to Jerusalem. It's what the enemy tries to convince us of. It's too much for us to go to church every Sunday and worship the Lord. It's too much. It called the cost is too high to actually go to have to go to church two times. People, people sit in here today and didn't realize why people stand at the altar up here and worship and praise the way they do because the enemy tell them it's too much to worship like that. You know what? You don't really got to do it at that level. You don't really got to praise God that way. It's too much. But I'm here to tell you, if the enemy can convince you that it costs too much, it's too hard, it's not worth it, or people are just wasting their time, you're leaving your victories on the table. Because you can pray... And I totally believe in prayer. Prayer is one of the most powerful things a Christian can do on this earth. But you know what prayer will do? Prayer will get you out of something. Prayer will get you delivered and set you free out of something. But prayer does not give you the victory. The Bible says, I'll show it to you here. The Bible says Peter was locked up in prison. He was locked up in prison. And the Bible says the church was praying. And the Bible says while the church was praying, an angel of the Lord appeared in prison and came and got Peter by the hand and led him out of that prison. They walked past the rapists. They walked past the murderers. They walked past the thieves. They walked past the sleeping guards. They walked right out of the prison and walked right to the house because prayer works. You need to be a praying Christian. But the Bible also tells a story in Acts chapter 16 where it says Paul and Silas were locked up in a prison and they had chains locked onto their ankles. And the Bible said this, at midnight they weren't praying. The Bible says at midnight they were praising. And the difference between what prayer will do in your life and what praise will do in your life. See, when they began to praise, the Bible says the ground began to shake and the earth began to quake. And when the earth began to quake, their chains fall, fell off of their feet. You need to be set free from addiction. You need to be set free from depression. You need to start praising. Because praise will cause things to shake free and loose in your life. But check out what happened here. It did not leave him. did not get him out of jail. As a matter of fact, their praise left them right in the middle of it all. But everything around them began to change. The Bible says the man that was holding them captive got his sword about to kill him. He said, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. They were all still there because praise didn't get them out of it. Praise didn't deliver them from it. Praise left them right in the middle of it, but gave them the victory because every rapist, every murderer, every thief that was in that jail with them began to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The very guy that was holding them captive took them to his house, the Bible says, and him and his kid prepared him a meal. It says, and they fed him, they baptized, it says him and his whole household were saved. That's what praise will do. Prayer will get you through and out of something. Praise will change your circumstance and turn it from a prison to a victory. They turned that jailhouse into a church house because they had the ability to be able to praise when other people were probably praying. I'm just going to be honest with you. What is God's plan? God's plan is for whatever battle you're walking into, if you'll go into it with your Judah, you're going to come out of it with Judah. Praise at the beginning of a battle will determine how big the victory is at the end. Now, I'm not saying you don't pray. Don't misinterpret that. What I'm saying, though, is prayer works, but praise wins. And so the question is this. Just like there, they were both facing two 
families being split. They were both facing. This is what praise will do. Praise will take care of external enemies. Here in, in the judges, they were facing an external enemy. And praise will defeat any enemy that the enemy send, the devil sends at you. So you got a bad boss, praise your way through it. You got a bad mate, keep praising your way through it. Because God will take care of the external enemies. God will use it. And I'm going to break it down and show you here in a minute. But not only did it do it, this was a family issue. This was an internal issue. Praise will also defeat internal enemies. Enemies are some of the biggest enemies I fight. The things on the inside of me are usually the things that defeat me quicker than the things on the outside of me. This was an internal battle. This was in their family. This was in their home. But yet praise, Jesus said, was going to be, or God said, is what's going to turn this thing around. Praise will give you the victory. You learning to praise. They said, how do we do it? Praise. Well, the court, well, you know, they say you want the answer to anything. You can lay it out into six different questions. There's six different ways to ask questions. Where, when, what, how, and why. You, you find the answer out to that. In any situation, you pretty much come out with the right answer anyway. Let me tell you the answer. How to test positive in what you're going through. I'm going to read it to you right here. This is that. Where, when, what, how, and why. If you turn to Psalms. 150. A man after God's own heart said this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise God in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise Him with the flute in the harp. Pray of the lute in the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with the stringed instrument and the flute. Praise Him with the loud cymbal. Praise Him with the clashing of cymbals. At everything that has breath, Praise the Lord. And then he had to say it again. He said, praise the Lord. Because if you can take Judah into your battle, Judah will take you through the battle and give you victory on the other side. So what we got to do is talk about this. You know, praise is one of those weird things that is kind of like church. You ask everybody in here what church is, and they'll all give you a different definition because we only understand church by our own experiences. Some people, you ask them what church is, oh, that's a place full of hypocrites because that, they, they, that was their experience. Or you ask somebody, that's where all them mean old ladies are. You know, or that's where all the rules you can't do. You know, I, you know, everybody has a different experience with church, to tell you the truth. The thing about it is praise is the same way. All of us are naturally geared to praise certain ways. Our personalities work that way. But see, when you read praise in the Old Testament, the word praise, I just read praise, 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 all in the same chapter. But in the original Hebrew, those words aren't all the same words. As a matter of fact, in the original Hebrew, there are seven different words for the word praise. Every one of them are an action. None of them are an attitude. They're all an action. Praise is not something you can feel. Praise is not something that you can think. Praise is something that's a verb. Praise has to have an action connected to it. Now, a lot of people don't want to move into what real praise is because they're like, well, they've been to churches before and they see somebody really get their praise on. You ever see anybody do that? Really get their praise on, they call it. And they're thinking, look at them people being up there all carnal. I'm going to be straight up with you honestly. You can't praise unless you do it with your carnal body. Ain't no such thing. Praise him with the hand. I just 
carnally clapped. You, know you, you worship, the Bible says, in spirit and truth. But praise takes your body involved in this situation. And you got to understand, you will leave victories on the table if you don't learn how to praise the way the Bible says that you're to praise. And it's not an option. Praise is not an option. If you want to win battles that you cannot win, the children of Israel were facing an enemy they never faced. They could not win this thing. So they had to go before the Lord and say, then you're going to have to praise. You're going to have to praise. It's not going to be an option. You're going to have to do it. If you want to win the battle, if you want to test positive, do everything you're going through, come out better than you went in before. Go through and have the reward and the victory. You're going to have to learn to praise the way God said praise. David said this. David said it like this. He said, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is Psalm 34. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, let me, let me explain something to David about David real quick. You got to keep referencing David. Probably the greatest praiser in the Bible. And the Bible, you know, it made me mad sometimes. Everybody got mad when you read the Bible? Because the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. But the dude screwed up more than most of us. And the dude had more family issues than most of us. His kids were doing crazy. You know, and he was, he was constantly battling sin. And you know, he was always having to, I mean, it was like, when you read about David, his daddy didn't even like him. And so you read all this stuff about David, and it's really easy for us to think all this positive about David. Do you know what the positive about David was? He was a praiser. That's what was my, wasn't that his life was without trouble. It wasn't what his life wasn't without tests and trials. It was that even though he walked through what he walked through, he decided, I come and I am made and I have been established and I will only be as great as what I come through and that's my praise. The Bible says he came through Judah. If you read Matthew chapter 1, it said Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judah. And it goes in his other brothers. And then it says this. And so and so began so. And then came out of the bloodline King David, a man after God's own heart. David came to being king because he knew how to praise even before there was a reason to praise in the first place. David was a praiser and he knew what it meant. And so if you want to test positive, you're going to have to learn to test positive through praise. Now, nobody preaches this message better than my father when you go into explaining what praise is. If you ever heard my dad talk on the seven different words of praise, man, it, it will convict you to praise like no other. So, but I'm going to break down because the truth is this. Most of us in our lives only have learned to praise according to who we are, what we feel comfortable praising with. There's some people that are loud. You hear Miss Kay? No, she loud. See, she got a different praise on than I got on. My personality is not that way. You know, uh, there are some people, you know, that are, um, you know, that, but, it, but the thing about it, it, praise isn't a choice. And it isn't one size fits all. Praise is a commandment. It's the secret to victory. And you have to learn to praise every way that God tells you to praise. So I want to go over some of these with you real quick because I'm here to tell you, you're probably missing out or losing some battles in your life. I know some of the greatest battles I've went through, the victories that I left on the table. I got through what I was going through, but I could have came through with much more because I wasn't willing to praise outside my comfort zone. But there are ways to praise that every battle you go through will end up positive in your life. In the original Hebrew, there are seven words. The first one is yada. 
Yada praise is a powerful praise. And the Bible says Yada praise is done in a specific way. Yada comes out of two words. It's outstretched arm and open palm. And the other one is to your God. The best picture to see this in the Bible is found when you find Moses standing up on a hill one day. And there was a battle going on on the field that the battle was greater than his soldiers were able to win. Because the Bible says the battle was being lost. Are you facing something that you can't beat? I'm here to tell you, you're not going to be able to beat it alone. The secret to your victory in this is going to be a yada praise. The Bible says David stood up on that hill, and this is what a yada hey praise looks like. It says he raised his hands before the Lord. And it says if his hands would stay raised, the battle would be won. It says, but when his arms would come down, the battle would be lost. And so you say, well, Cricket, I wasn't raised in a church raising my hands. I'm here to tell you, I wasn't raised in a church that didn't. Doesn't change the fact that the Bible says that we're to bring a yada praise. I can give you all the scripture references. Psalms 42, Psalms 109.30, Isaiah 12.1, Genesis 29.35 is what we're talking about. But when Dave Moses would raise his hands, now you say, well, Cricket, how can I do that? Well, The Bible says when Moses was doing it and he got weary, there were two people on that hill with him that when his hands got heavy, they would help him hold it. You want me to tell you how to learn the yada praise? Run around with hand raisers. Run around with people that don't think it's weird to raise a hand to praise before the Lord. Because I'm here to tell you this. If you don't learn the yacht of praise like this in a house of God or before the Lord, I know from experience, you'll be doing this out the window one day anyway. The cop will say, put your hands out that window and get them where I can see them. If you don't want to surrender to the Lord in praise, it's a matter of time before you're going to surrender to somebody else. And so you can either learn to yada. And get your victory. Or you can learn to be submitted and be surrendered to something else. Whether it be addiction. Whether it be heartache. Whether it be depression. You learn to. You say, Cricket, how do I do it? You get around people that are yada. They'll raise their hand before the Lord. Say, God, I surrender to you. There is no greater than you. There's no one before you in my life. I give you my praise. There's yada. Then there's the word tada. T-O-W-D-A-H. And it's the praise of thanksgiving. It's the attitude of gratitude verbally expressed or physically shown. You know, the best way to see this one was when the ten lepers came before the Lord. The Bible said there were ten lepers and Jesus came up and he said, I'm going to heal you guys. All of you are healed. Go show yourself to the physician. And the Bible says the ten lepers went and showed themselves to the physician. But it said, but one of them realized, I left something on the table. I, and it says, he went back before the Lord and he thanked him. He told him, thank you. I'm sure the other ones fought it. I'm sure the other ones felt it. I'm sure the other ones wanted to. But it was the one that went through the motion and went back. He got way more than healed. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him and said, you're not just healed. You have been made whole. There's a difference in being healed and been made whole. I've left miracle. I've, I've made through it. I made it through a lot of things. But when I learned to give my, when I thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. When I've learned to move into a place and go through the actual physical effort of praising God with an attitude of gratitude, then God would begin to release things in my life that I had no idea I was going to get. Then there's the Shabbat, which is a loud adoration. This is the one that's not natural for me. 
there's some people that are just loud. Me, I'd rather not be loud. I, I get loud on stage, but the truth be told, I, I'm not. People say, you're louder where you go. Jennifer will say that. But most of the time, I'm at a ball game watching or on my phone or something like that, but I'm not loud. And it's not natural for me to give a shout of praise. But let me show you in the Bible where God told Joshua and the children of Israel, for you to win this city, you're going to have to learn how to Shabbat. He said, you're going to have to walk around the city six times. On the seventh day, you're going to have to shout. Didn't say whisper, didn't say comfortably say, didn't say tell your neighbor. Didn't, no, he said, you're going to have to shout. Now, there's no really any explanation other than make a loud noise to describe the word shout. You can't whisper a shout. You can't talk a shout. You've got to shout. That's not usual for me, but the Bible said this. It wasn't until they shouted that the walls broke down. I'm here to tell you, you say, Cricket, I'm just not comfortable shouting. Well, maybe that's why you're still facing the same battle in your life. Because God is waiting for you to move to a place where you can offer Shabbat. You can offer hallelujah. And you don't care what people around you think. You can holler, thank you, Jesus. And you don't care. That's not natural for me. But I got to tell you something. There's been battles I've been through that I needed victory so bad that I don't care who thought I was stupid or anybody wanted to make fun. I had to learn to Shabbat. And if you don't learn to Shabbat, you're going to stand behind walls in your life and behind the promise that God has said because you're going to have to praise your way through this test. Then there's the next one. It's called the Barak. Now, this one is actually easy for my personality. It's called the kneeling before the Lord. Because, see, this don't draw a whole lot of attention. And even the people that don't understand it around you can just think you're just having a bad day. You know, so it's not... But it actually says kneeling... Or laying prostrate before the Lord. One definition of it is the response a person has before their king's presence. Now, what that says is this. When I choose to praise God this way, I'm making the decision that I'm not just standing before any king. I'm standing before the presence of my king. And kings don't think the same way regular people do. Kings think different. There was a story about a king. There was a king from one of the Arab countries came over to America. And he, was, he liked to golf. So he got a golfing pro to teach him how to golf. And so when he was golfing, um, the golfing girl took him out. And the king was so impressed that just one day with this golfing pro, raised his golfing, whatever you call it, handicap, up several points. He was so thankful. He said, listen... I'm a king. I can give you whatever you want. Name what you want. And I'll give it to you. And the guy's like, oh, you don't have to. You know, you guys tip me. I'm good. No, no. Name of it. This was valuable enough to me that I want to bless you out of it. Name what you want. He said, send me a nice golf club. And he went on by his way. About three weeks later, he got a phone call from a real estate company. And the guy said, hey, we were called to inform you. You need to come sign the title deed to your new golf club. He didn't give him a golf club. He gave him a golf club. Kings think different than what we think. And when you get into a, into a worship that, hey, I am standing in 
presence of my king. When what you think a king can bless you, your king can knock your socks off. Because kings, you make him your king. You praise him as your king. And he will bless you in ways your mind can't even imagine, the Bible says. Then there's the, the Zamar. Oh, wait, let me go back to Elijah. Um, Barak, the best picture of it in the Bible is when Elijah, the Bible says, you know, told the nation that it wasn't going to rain for three days. Well, and blessings, I mean, curses are easy to do. <laughs> Don't you agree? How many of you guys let more curses come out of your mouth every day than you do blessings, all right? All right. So I, I can see how when he told him it's not going to rain, he was mad. He always had anger issues anyway, but he's ain't going to rain. All right, but now we find him in a place, the Bible says, where he needed it to rain. And the Bible said this is what he did. He went and got before the Lord. He knelt down. He put his face between his legs. He got into the king praise stance. And he asked the Lord, let it rain. And you know what happened? The rain came. Do you need a miracle in your life? Do you need God to cause things to happen that you can't cause happen? Man, you have got to get yourself to a place where Barak is not strange in your world. Barak is something that you do before you find yourself in need of a rain. Then there's Amar, which means to sing accompanied by music. Now, I call this your practice praise. I'm not a musician. I took six years of guitar lessons because I thought guitar players were cool. And I never learned to play. I can finger every chord. I just have no rhythm. I can't even clap on beat. I have to watch somebody clap for me to be able to stay on beat. And so I'm just not a musician. But this is to play with stringed instruments. So is this Justin or Lear or Jerry? Are they the only ones that can do this? No. No, no, no. This is a practice praise, a rehearsed praise. Before y'all got in here today, our praise team was up here practicing. What practicing does... Is, is they get up here and before they actually praise, they prepare to praise because they don't want to offer the Lord anything but their very best. And this is a practiced praise. And you know what I've learned in my life is I have to have some practiced praise. I may not be a musician, but the Bible says this, David, we're going back to David, David was a skilled heart player. Now, that don't happen naturally. I don't care. There's nobody ever been born on the planet that just walked up to a harp and just picked it up and played it skillfully. Now, they may have had some natural things like Justin and Lelia, but these guys still had to practice. They had to prepare. They practiced. In other words, they spent time learning songs and learning things because there would be a day when their practice was not practice and it had to become performance. The reason why it had to become performance is because the Bible says when King Saul would get under the demonic pressures of demonic entities in his life, it says he was hounded and harassed by a demonic spirit. He had to find somebody that had a practice praise in their life that could get in there and he said he would play that harp skillfully and the demonic spirits would have to run. You've got to learn to be able to Practice your praise because there's going to be a day, I'm here to tell you, the devil's going to come after your marriage. There's going to be a day the devil's going to come after your kids. There's going to be a day the devil's going to come after your finances. He's going to send his hordes, his cohorts after your everything in your life. And if you don't have a praise in your back pocket that you have practiced, and on the day you need that enemy to run, and you can't pull that praise out, that's why usually when I'm going through a bad battle, I call, I'm an old school guy. I don't, I'm not a music guy, so I only know 
the old stuff. And so when you hear our praise team playing that old song, it's usually because I call and say, hey, can y'all do this one today? Because uh, I'm needing a practice praise. Because I need the devil to run from whatever he's come after my stuff. And that only comes. So there's a lot of times I have to ride to work, practice praising in my car. Because I got to be ready for when the devil comes. You better be ready. Don't you wait till the devil comes after your kids to try to learn a praise song. I have to go back to some of the old ones that I know. Because God used those in my past to get me through. I'm going to use them now. But you've got to learn to sing a song and know the words. There's a practice praise. Because you've got to know what you're singing. All right, then there's the hala. And it's the praise unrestricted and undignified. This one's hard. Because we worry about what so many people think that we're worried about doing what it's going to take to get the victory. This king in First Kings said this. said, it's not worth going there. It's not worth going back to Jerusalem and worshiping. It's not worth paying the price. It's not worth, you know, it's not worth it in my life. A lot of times I feel like, I don't, I don't have to get up there and act like them people. They're getting their praise on. You ever seen their spirit hit somebody in a church service? I've tried to do it. I can't do it. Who can do the dance? Can you, po, can you do the dance? <laughs> I, yeah, but we don't have a whole lot of uh, people. They're, they're, I've been in some churches where when the Holy Spirit hits a man, they got this thing down. and they get, You're doing all that. And I'm like, man, I can't do that. It's not me. Now, the thing about it is this. Nowhere in the Bible did it say when someone did this praise that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them to do it. What you got to understand is this. This praise was done several times. But it was done... Because someone realized they need to do it. Not because the Spirit led them to do it. There was one time in the Bible where Miriam, the Bible says that she had just come through the Red Sea. She'd just been set free from slavery in her whole life. And she'd just come through the Red Sea and the walls just crashed and had just killed all her enemies. And never again would she ever be put back in slavery. And the Bible says she ran over and grabbed her tambourine and she began to cut a rug and didn't care what nobody thought. You say, well, you know, I'm too old to do that cricket. Do you realize who Miriam was? Moses, the burning bush did not catch on fire till Moses was 80. And Miriam was Moses' older sister. So if this was her older sister, I want you to know, you're never too young to cut a rug for Jesus. You're never too young or too old to lose yourself in your praise. Because, see, David was in a bad marriage. Anybody in a bad marriage? Don't raise your hands. But David was in a bad marriage. And it wasn't until he began to dance with all his might that that marriage changed. Now, that wife left, and he got later on Naomi, which the Bible, there's only two women in the Bible that says they were hot like this, and but it says about Naomi, she had nice curves. That's what it says. The Bible's a great book to read. It'll trip you out if you ever read it. But it says, so the wife that was always nagging, the wife that was always critical, the wife became a wife that was just right, all right? So, and it came, that the moment that it happened, was when he danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, I didn't say when the Lord came upon him, oh, he got the Holy Spirit. No. He decided that my God is so big, my God is so strong, that I cannot keep myself from praising him. Whether I feel like it or not, the best place to see it in the Bible, really, is when Paul and Silas were in prison. 
Because you got to know the story. They weren't. We see the pictures of them sitting there in their nice clothes and you know raising their hand praying. That's not the way the story goes. If you read the Bible, says that right before they were put in the cell with the shackles on it, they'd just been beat with sticks. They'd been caned and beat and thrown in there. So physically, they were destroyed. Mentally, they were destroyed. But the Bible said they praised unrefined, undignified. They praised so loud that they began to shake their world. And the Bible says the things that were holding them bound fell off. And the people that were around them began to get saved. This praise is one that you're not, if you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to do it, it's going to be like the Holy Spirit trying to make you speak in tongues. He don't do that. He's a good gentleman. You're going to have to decide that I'm going to test positive on this one. And there's certain times I'm just going to have to cut a rug. I usually wait till my kids are at school and my wife is at work. And I turn my TV on and turn it to the Christian station. And I will dance for it because I don't look good dancing. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I also know for things to come free in my life, it takes me praising at a level that I'm not comfortable in. But praising at a level that he deserves with all my might, with all my strength. Lastly, we're done. Then there's Talia. Talalia. I'm a T-H-H-I-L-L-A. It says to sing a song of his greatness. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise the standard. I preach that a lot, twisting the words a little bit, honestly. I say when the enemy comes in like a flood, I'm supposed to, the Lord will raise my standard, and I call it like standard of living and standard of what you watch and what you know. But the truth of the, the layout of the scripture is this. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise the standard. When the children of Israel would go into battle, there was a banner they carried, and that banner was called the standard. And they would put it up front of their lines as they would march into battle. Because on that banner, it said the name of their God. So as they were walking toward their enemy, they wanted all their enemies to know who their God was. But that's not all that was on the standard. Also, every time they went through a battle... They had to add something to the standard. It was the name of their God, but then it was the name of the enemy that their God had defeated for them. And so every battle, that standard got bigger. In every battle, a new it would say the name of their God, Yahweh, and it would say the Amorites, the Hittites, the Sebusites, or whatever the ites are all out there, the bad husbandites, the unemployedite, the depressionite. The brokeite. All the enemies that God has defeated in your life was on that banner. Because as they would march toward that enemy with that standard raised, it would put fear in the hearts of their enemy. And their enemy could not withstand the battle that the Lord was bringing to them. Now that's not just all the standard was. That was on the front side of the standard. On the back side of the standard was the exact same thing. Because you got to understand, you don't just need to let the enemy know who it is on your side. But you also have to be reminded of what God has brought you through before you found yourself in the middle of this battle. And so as you're walking toward what the enemy is facing or bringing down against you, you can see, man, drug addiction, broken marriage, 
depression, heartache, financial, health, cancer. Because the Bible says he didn't bring you this far to take you back again. And the way you're able to keep going through the battles that the enemy is bringing on, is you have to raise the standard. And you do that with the Tallulah. You do that with the song of his greatness. Singing about everything that he has done and everything that he is doing. And when you send Judah first, you'll find yourself walking on the battlefields of enemies that you have spent your whole life trying to defeat, now laying at your feet defeated. Because prayer will get you out, but praise will give you victory. So you want to test positive, you've got to learn to praise before you find yourself in the middle of it. And you say, well, cricket, I, I just don't. let me give you one more thing. We're done. Right, they said, what do we do? They said, send Judah first. Why, why, why do we get up to Judah first? Because out of Judah came a man after God's own heart. But do you know what came out of a man after God's own heart? The very presence of Jesus that destroyed every wrong, every hurt, every sickness and every sin that has ever been done. Because out of David's bloodline came the tangible, physical, actual presence of Jesus into this earth. And see, Judah hasn't changed. You need Jesus involved in your situation? He's the only answer. He's the only one that can fix this. He's the only one that's going to get you through. He's the only, the only thing that builds. The Bible says that praise. One, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. Now, it didn't say person. I love this. Because some people just want to praise on their own and not be a part of a church. I want you to know something. Go back through all the times that they gathered in praise and got victory. There was more than one. Want to put a thousand to flight, two to put a thousand. You want real victory? You get in a group of people that are willing to praise. And you lift up a praise and you decide, all right, today I may feel like uh, doing the, the kneel down thing, but man, that's shaking a rug thing. That didn't, then you're going to miss out on some stuff. Let me tell you how to know what praise to do. Wouldn't you like to know when? Well, you know what, when? All right, here's where in church. All right, but what? Which praise is the one that you don't want to do the most? Because the Bible says we bring the sacrifice of praise. If it's the one you want to give me, that's a gift. If it's the one that costs you something, that's a sacrifice. So I find myself at times having to check myself and face what I'm going to say, God, what, what praise do you want me to bring today? And it's the one I want to give least of all. When I feel less like giving in the first place, because that's the sacrifice. I want you to know something. You'll never outgive God. But this is what I've learned when it comes to praise. You should try. You should try to outgive Him a sacrifice of praise. You'll never be able to do it. Because God has never been defeated. You're not going to up Him one. But I can give you this, the level of praise you go into your battle with will be the size of the victory you come out. And I would love to say I've done this right every time. I look back at a lot of battles I walked through and I see all the victory I left laying on the field. But I've determined I'm going to praise my way into the next test because I'm passing and going up to the next grade. I'm eventually going to make it to where God has called me to be. So we're going to do this. We're praise team, Pastor Leah has prepared a few-minute worship praise song here.
And I want you to ask the Lord, what praise am I deficient on today? What answer am I lacking? What praise would you like me to offer before you? I want you to take the next few minutes and you say, well, Cricket, I'm nervous around these people. Hey, all these people are going to be doing it too. We all need a victory today. But you decide what level you're going to praise at, what one you can offer for the Lord. And I tell you, you watch when you walk out of here. This is what the Bible says. It says, God inhabits praise of people. This is what one translation says. He is enthroned in the praises of his people. That praise builds a throne in that area of your life. It's not even it's his throne. And wherever Jesus is on the throne, there's freedom. There's victory. There's life. There's joy. There's peace. So you build you a throne this morning that you walk out of and let Jesus reign on in your life. And you see how everything in your life is going to start turning positive in your favor. Because all things work together for those who love the Lord. And who are called. You know what the great... If no one, if, if no one can ever say anything good about me in my life, I don't care except I want them to be able to say, He praised God. If they could, if people would just say, well, you know, Cricket was a jerk, but he did praise God. I will feel like a success. Because the whole purpose in this life is for us to give God glory. If I do nothing else in life but give God, and if you can move to the place to give God glory, you can go through anything and be okay. You want me to show you the in history reference? That when King Nero was burning Christians at the stake, the Bible says that he went crazy. Mentally, he had a mental breakdown and went crazy. Because when he would light them on fire at night, they would light his garden up with Christians burning. But they would sing and set a scream. They burnt up giving praises to God. And the next morning, he would get up and walk out and look at those martyrs. Look it up. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It records how all the Christians during those seasons were killed. It says, and those bodies in the garden had the biggest smiles on their face, burnt to those stakes. They never felt the pain because of what they were going through. They were going through in victory. They were testing positive, and they got the greatest reward. You want to get through what you're going through? You praise your way positive, and you watch how it don't matter what you walk through, you're going to walk through. Here's two minutes. You got a chance to offer him one of those that you know he deserves.